0: When I heard that the president had said that, my first thought was, well, we've we've heard this before. During the campaign, he had that now infamous tweet, I will not shut down the country, I'll shut down the virus. And then he got into office and almost turned heel and did the exact opposite.
1: Hey, Scott here. Thanks for joining us on the Flyover Country podcast. We've got another great panel discussion to present for you this week. Joining me as always, Joe Arnold, Kaylee Price, and Kevin Grout. We're doing a deep dive into Dr. Anthony Fauci's latest comments claiming to be the science versus his political attacks on Senator Ted Cruz. Is he retaining any personal credibility right now? And is it helping the overall COVID response? We also talk a lot about Joe Biden and whether Democrats under his leadership can reconnect with rural voters. We discuss all that and a lot more on this week's Flyover Country podcast with me, Scott Jennings.
2: Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
3: And welcome to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold, your your host, with Scott being one of our esteemed panelists. How about that? As well as Kevin Grout. Hello, Kevin. Hello. And Kaylee Price. Hello, Kaylee. Hi, hi. We've already Glad to see you Scott's- take the reins mellifluous tones and i'm so happy to be able to to lend uh our friendship here scott and scott and i have had many 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 okay i'm here now we can do the
1: news now okay i'm here we can can now do the news
3: uh scott uh what scott and i for those (laughs) of you just just tuning into the podcast uh the flyover country with scott jennings podcast uh scott and i go way back uh to whas radio a long long time ago when i was a talk show host and Scott was a newscaster. Then we kind of flipped roles and I was a newscaster and, and he was the commentator and the, uh, and the, the political expert. And, and now I guess we're somewhat, you know, going back to the old days. But anyway, but I, I'm so excited to be back. Uh, good to see everybody here. And I want to get right to some of the news today and, and get your comments here on, from the, the, the perspective of middle America. And and I want to start first of all, Kevin. Uh first of all, you you are among the newly vaccinated, right? I mean what's what's the latest here? <sighs> right.
0: Th- this morning, I, I've been vaccinated for a while. This morning I got my, my booster shot. And uh, I'm saying that if you just see me fall out of my chair over the next thirty minutes, you'll know the side effects have fully sunk in. I Be ready little... for
2: about twelve hours from now when you feel like crap. But, and but Scott, was... you had
3: you had your booster about a week ago, Scott, is that right?
0: I got boosted.
1: Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, I didn't feel great. I'll be honest. I feel fine now. Um, I am. However, there were several paper clips sticking to me. You can't see it. But uh, other than that, <laughs> it's fine.
3: <laughs> I, I tried to, I mean, well, after my uh, both of, I, I'm, I'm a Moderna uh, uh, ecosystem, if you want to call it that, uh, and got the, the first two, both times really had, you know, pretty, I was pretty much knocked out for, for a day. Uh, afterwards, so this the whole booster situation at this point, and I guess we're talking about doing this the rest of our lives. I don't know i it's it's like it's sort of like uh, planning no. your your p t o whatever i mean at this point I need need to make sure that I have an entire day set aside that I can fit it into my schedule. Uh, I remember when you first forward. got your first shot
1: and we were going to a baseball game and you called me and said, "Well, I'm getting my shot." Would you mind driving to the game tonight in case something happens to me along the way? Oh gosh, <laughs> it's how you tricked me into driving you to Cincinnati.
3: For a, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> B, I, I felt like crap. Uh, Did you? I mean, sh- shortly after, I mean, I, it began like toward the end of the game, and then by the time mm. by the time I got home and and you dropped me off, thank you. Um, <laughs> it, it began sort of a twenty four hour period there where I was pretty much you know on my butt. Yeah, so yeah, you know that was great. Anyway. I, made,
0: I made it through the first two pretty much unscathed, so I think that I've built up enough that this one is is likely going to hurt.
3: But this kind of goes to uh, let's let's talk first a little bit about the um, the the undefinable uh, the end game here, if you will, of what's going on. And, and and this goes, I think, straight to the point of of President Biden this past week. Uh, I think, at least in my perspective, I'm curious to hear about all of yours uh, that that Biden. Read the polling, saw the situation from Virginia and other places, and was very clear, at least as clear as he could be from the, from the top, to say no lockdown, no lockdown, and, and, and sort of changing what the expectations are. At least he said not yet. But I'm, I'm curious. Let's Scott. We'll start with you. It's your podcast. Yeah. Uh, is this is this a clear indication that that the, the political nature of public health policy is beginning to maybe trump the medical? information that uh democrats have leaned on up to this point
1: beginning to trump i mean I, I feel like this has become this has become political a long time ago and on top of what you just said there was a um, prominent democratic strategist yesterday uh who uh patty salise doyle who by the way i know from cnn and i like and and know patty and think she's a nice person but she said you know uh this will never end and i'll never get on an airplane again without a mask i mean There is a cohort, a large cohort of Democrats who I think do not want it to end for some reason. They may think they have good reasons, but I I do think for Biden, one of the political problems he has is that the country wants to move on. The country's over this, okay? The country's done with this, but the people who aren't done with it are universally in his base. And so he has to keep them happy while at the same time recognizing the political implications— of permanent masking or permanent whatever the restrictions are or the specter of lockdowns or the specter of school closures. And I, I don't know that they've yet resolved how to do that, to be honest. Kaylee?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting what what they're going to do. And obviously, politics are going to start to trump here, um, and, and they have. but But then at the same time, you have Biden saying – masks will not be the new normal you also have jill biden inviting kids to the white house reading to them making all the kids sitting in masks while she's not in a mask so they really don't know what the new normal is going to be yet and and they're still figuring out i think all they need to do though is look look to folks and how people are living look at what just happened in thanksgiving i think biggest travel year in a long time folks are ready to get back to regular and i think our nation's leadership needs to do the same
1: but regarding the political nature of all this, Joe, you know, back during the summer when Florida was seeing an increase in cases, Democrats were all too happy to crap upon Ron DeSantis. He's a killer. You know, his policies are murdering people, dot, dot, dot. Now look at the map. Florida is actually the lowest state. If, as we record this, Florida is in the best shape in terms of case transmission right now. And like Michigan with the Democratic governor is in is in horrific shape. Well, we don't hear the same attacks on Gretchen Whitmer that we heard on Ron DeSantis. So your your original question was about the politics of this? Well, the politics have always been clear. And that is, we're going to blame every Republican, president, governor, elected official, when it's not going the way we want it to go. And we're going to give every Democrat politician a pass. The reality is, as we sit here today, Joe Biden has failed. He said he was going to shut the virus down and he did not he said that anybody in October of 2020 who had overseen that much death as president should no longer be president. More people have now died during his presidency than Donald Trump's. So by his own standard, his own political standard, he has failed. And so what I think is happening is the left will not hold their own accountable, even as they gleefully hold Ron DeSantis and any other Republican they feel is the target of the month. They hold them accountable. And I think that is a damn shame because all of this posturing and all of this theater does nothing except drive down uh, people having confidence in the vaccine. That's what it does. When you see our government and our officials being so political about it, it drives down confidence in our institutions and in the efficacy of the tool that we have, which is the vaccine, and that is a shame. Kevin?
0: Scott's exactly right. It It is all just theater. I mean, when I heard that the president had said that, my first thought was, well, we've, we've heard this before. During the campaign, he had that now infamous tweet, I will not shut down the country, I'll shut down the virus. And then he got into office and almost turned heel and did the exact opposite. So it, it, it smacks of political doublespeak that you know he's saying this because that's what the polling want, needs him to say. But when it comes down to it, you know he's going to enact policies that serve the blue check marks on Twitter and what, what his inner circle really wants.
3: Well, I guess my question, though, about all this, though, is that is the, the, the goalposts have always changed, you know, throughout. I mean, almost almost weekly or monthly on all this. But the problem is the field is also changing it, depending upon who you listen to or, or, or uh, appreciate. And that is with the different variants. This Omicron thing is that is is what's uh, perhaps a springboard into, you know, being able to extend some of the mandates and, and maybe lockdown again or whatever the case might be for those folks who are more inclined to do that anyway. So, I mean, maybe my question for you guys is just more of a, not a, polit- a political one, but a personal one. How seriously are you taking this new thing?
1: Well, I, I think the larger macro-political conversation is about, I mean, there's a group of people in the country who seem to be dedicated to policies that are designed to get us to COVID-0. That is clearly not going to happen because you're never going to have universal uptake of the vaccine and you're going to have these variants. And so it's going to be with us in some way. And so I think you have the COVID zero crowd versus everyone else who seems to be getting more comfortable by the day with the idea that, okay, we're going to have to live with it. We're going to have to get our vaccines and we're just going to have to figure out how to live our lives here and not cower in fear for the rest of our lives. And, And that to me is the great, divide of what we're coming up against. And so how seriously am I taking it? Well, I don't know. I've done everything I can do. I get up every day. I put the masks on my kids. They get on the school bus. I've gotten my vaccines. My kids that are able have gotten their vaccine. I've done what I can do. I've done what I can do. Beyond that, I'm not willing to shut down my life or my business or anybody else's if if they're doing what they can do as well. That's I mean, that's kind of how I think mo- most people see it right now.
3: Kaylee, in the meantime, you have uh, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, of course, the chief medical advisor to President uh, Biden, uh, you know, reacting to criticism of, of his counsel on this and saying, quote, attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. So basically, Fauci equals science at this point. All the things I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes these things were inconvenient truths for people so how do we how do you respond to that in the in the juxtaposition of some of these new developments and because we as a as a consumer of news as a person who lives on this earth, you're interested in being safe and in doing the right things for you and for your family so how do you how do you put those two th- those two things together
2: you don't um he he's clearly wrong on this i mean at, in one hand he's telling me he is science and don't go to Thanksgiving and and don't do all these different things. And then on the other hand, you're telling me you have to get the vaccine to stop this, but you're not allowing life to move on and, and moving on once I have the vaccine. So he doesn't even know what the science is that he's following at this point. He hasn't from the very beginning. And I think that's what's frustrating to everyone and why nobody trusts him. It's, it's here, there, everywhere. And all of a sudden he is science, but one day he has one opinion and the next day he has another. So I'm not falling for it.
3: Of course, what he would say in that situation, Kevin, is that well, that's a scientific method. Is that you don't know everything. You, you, your, your, your opinions change depending upon the the more things that you learn. Yeah, but, right, but why
2: why is he still wearing a mask when he goes out to places? Does he believe in the vaccine or does he not believe in the vaccine? That that's the science. I I get it. I get the scientific method. I think that's great. I I got the vaccine because I do believe in science. I don't believe in him going here, there, and everywhere on what it actually means once I do it.
0: And, and regardless of him crowning himself as the king of science, I mean, it. it's just pretty <laughs> apparent Dr. Fauci has no political capital left. Who is actually listening to this guy and believing what he says and doing something that he recommends? I mean, I, I don't know any of them. I don't know anybody in flyover country who still is. It's a, a stark departure from where we were at the beginning of this pandemic when everybody in my family, in my, in my surroundings, everybody was hanging on his every words. Now I don't know who who's left listening. So at some point he's got to ask himself, am I you know hurting this cause? Even if he's saying something that is scientifically right and probably prudent at some point, is he hurting the cause more than helping it? And is it time for him to, um, uh, give up the throne and let somebody else be science for the day. I mean, he the, the question percent. is, is it time
1: for him to move on? And I, and I, and to me, when he got into his fight this week with Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz attacked him, and then Fauci attacked Ted Cruz over January the 6th. So you can't be the scientist who's above our national politics while at the same time engaging in the most divisive political issue of the day, you can't can't have it both ways. You You can't want everyone to judge you to be pure science while at the same time playing pure politics, regardless of how you feel about any of these issues. Fauci's job is to be a doctor, to be a scientist and to give us advice of a medical nature. And yet he's so thin skinned and he's so invested in the politics of all this that now he feels like he has to fight politics with Ted Cruz to me, one of the biggest deficiencies of this guy has been that he doesn't know how to answer questions. He can't take criticism. He is a government bureaucrat. He works for us and he, and he needs oversight, but he has always been prickly about the oversight given to him by Congress. Now it's come from Republicans, but in that his position is revealed. His position is revealed that I'm not, I don't feel like it's beneath me to have to answer questions from Republicans. And I think once you go down that political path, it's fine. If he wants to be a political actor, fine. It's a free country. We have free speech. But you can't do that and be a bureaucrat, scientist, I am the science, all at the same time.
2: And I think I think you look back to how politically is just look at a hearing that Dr. Fauci participated in before COVID and how he acted during those, which was truly as a public health advocate, and they're answering as a doctor. To how his hearings go now, or how questions go now, it's so combative. It was never like that before. He is all in on the politics. If you look back,
3: I think early on there was more of a. Uh, it's, of course, it's, it seems like it was 15 years ago in some respects, as far as how long this this whole episode has been has been going on here. But early on, there was almost this: uh, we feel sorry for you because you have to you, you have to work with Trump. And that was sort of like, you know, you know uh, what, what can you say and what can't you say? And he was somewhat, you know, constrained by the political realities of that moment. Uh, but those shackles, as Scott suggested before, have been released uh, at this point, And he's pretty much able to, you know, to kind of re- express himself perhaps the way that he wanted to originally. But, but the I, question I, is, go, go ahead.
2: I, I do think, you know, Dr. Fauci represents a group of public health advocates who would truly have us in our homes, not seeing anyone and if you let just public health advocates say that we would never go anywhere again there's all kinds of disease and i don't know if you guys ever read or listened to um, mitch daniels the commencement speech at purdue uh, about a year and a half ago in the midst of covid and he said the biggest risk we have here the biggest risk of covid while lives, lives are at risk and we need to take care of that is that we as Americans never take a risk again and we're scared of taking risks. And truly, I think that's what Dr. Fauci and others would rather have us do is stay in our house and never take a risk again. And if you haven't read that yet, Joe, I think you'll love it. You should. I'll drop a link in.
3: That, that'd be great. And, and by the way, speaking of links, we want to hear from you, uh, those of you listening. Thank you for subscribing to Flyover Country with uh, Scott Jennings and follow us on Twitter at the flyover pod. And when you do that, you can also find a link there where you can actually leave voicemails that we can play on subsequent uh, podcasts. That also is uh, that link is on the show notes. If you just want to scroll down and take a look at right there and be able to respond. We certainly welcome your comments you can always people uh, always respond to scott jennings on uh on twitter at scott jennings ky uh, Yeah, get a lot <laughs> you get a lot of that you get a lot it's it's fun actually there are times where just for entertainment purposes i will just uh, i'll type in uh scott jennings ky on uh, on my twitter search handle just to see who's abusing him because it's fun it really if you need to it. laugh
2: some days, just that I do too, Joe, it's sometimes just
1: for you jackals. <laughs> All right. What, hey. what else are we talking about this week?
3: Well, but but one last point on the, on the risk thing, I think you're right. But but, but the other metaphor, I guess, or to think about that is law enforcement would say the same thing. I mean, the, the best way is it's sort of like curfews. If you put a curfews in place, if there's uh, and frankly, I, and this is, this is a controversial topic. We can talk about a different time, but I, I've always had concerns about, um, roadblocks, you know, basically stopping people, uh, on the road. I I'm certainly not in favor of people driving while intoxicated, but I don't, I, have always been opposed to the idea of someone pulling me over just because I'm on the road today versus, uh, any other reason. So anyway, I'm, I'm i think that from a risk standpoint, it's an interesting, uh, there's a question about what's effective versus, you know, what is, what is realistic as far as the way we live our lives.
1: I look forward in, in, to re-engaging this conversation later this month. After I'm uh, Kevin and I were in the office yesterday, having a spirited debate about whether it's time to abolish the TSA, and I am about to write a column about this. I think Kevin, of course, is a pro-government, uh, big government uh, Republican. <laughs> Republican and uh, Kevin, uh, are you a he was, rhino? You no, know, he was he was fighting me on it. He thinks. More bureaucracy and more agents and all that. And so anyway, we were having a nice discussion about it, but the question was, you know, about risk, tolerance for risk. You know, what what's what should the government be stopping you, you know, because you decided to fly on an air anyway. We had a we'll talk about it later this month, but it, it's a good it's a good conversation. And we'll just find
0: out I'm right. <laughs> I had to come out <laughs> of You're my stick to your pro
1: TSA me. stance just to just to be combative or you really believe it?
0: You, you you almost you almost convinced me yesterday, but now uh, that I've been called the Rhino of the group, I I'll pick <laughs> up your diggy And yeah. uh, you know, I Scott, I don't know about you, I'm pro law enforcement. Um, I think that they're uh, dedicated. I am heroes. too, but, but when I
1: get my belt and shoes taken off, I'm not I'm not breaking any laws, and so I'm not sure what law they're enforcing by disrobing me in front of the rest of the passengers. All right, we got to save this. We can go down the rabbit hole here.
3: <laughs> Kaylee was about to remark upon how she had to be the office police officer yesterday to keep you guys in check, but that's, we'll no. have to follow up on that later.
2: No, really, I just heard such a liberal comment coming from the office next to me that I had to quickly go over to see who possibly said that. Turns out it was Kevin. So, what no. <laughs> <More to> come. <laughs> I think Congrats
1: that's going to be it. a fun one. This is going to be a fun Christmas episode because it'll be the Christmas travel season, and we're going to make the whole thing a big fight about this.
3: We're just showing the diversity of opinions in flyover country. I mentioned off the top about uh, Joe Biden, uh, uh, at least with his tone, and trying to maybe address concerns and saying we're not going to lock down again. Scott, I want to ask you about the the continued ripple effect of Virginia and, and Democrats uh, maybe – reacting now and trying to say, what can we do to reorient, to recharacterize and prepare for 2022 and beyond based upon the lessons of Virginia? First of all, you know, it's, you reacted to it immediately when, when Youngkin won and what happened there and and the New Jersey very close race there. Um, But now that we have had a month to look back upon that, and and see how people are responding to it. What are the lessons you think learned? And what are you seeing here as far as uh, comments from Democrats, maybe some moderate Democrats who are concerned about losing or ignoring rural America altogether?
1: Well, I I don't think they've learned any lessons. I I think they are doubling down on a vision of America that is not going to fly in this upcoming midterm election. And they are doubling down on a view that is so divisive, which is to say, if you don't vote for us and you don't agree with our ideology up and down the board, you're a racist, you're a white supremacist. And I don't see any sign since the Virginia uh, result uh, that that they get it now, that they understand how off-putting this is and that it's not going to work. And so, I mean, just when you thought the Democrats couldn't go any lower in rural America— They really have continued to sink. Youngkin proved that that there's more to be gained uh, in rural America uh, for the Republicans by operating the way that he did. And there's really nothing to be lost uh, by operating the way that he did in his campaign. And Democrats and in in, in some ways, there's really nothing to do about it because Democrats are going to continue to. It seems to me that the prevailing energy in their party is to continue to go down this this rabbit hole, and it is a it's a dead end for their party, but it's a dead end for America. It's a dead end for civil discourse. It's a dead end for our politics when all debates end with, "Well, if you don't agree with me, you're a racist." I mean, how what, how are you supposed to discuss any issue if that is the end of the tunnel uh, for for most of these Democrats who are out debating things? And I find it very very disconcerting, frankly, because to say that about your political opponents indicates that you truly deeply believe they have evil in their hearts and i don't think that about democrats i don't think all of my political opponents are evil i think they, they're there to be debated but i don't think they're evil but i think when democrats want to end all debates with that conclusion it means something very different and it's it's something very it portends something very dark for our democracy in my opinion
3: that's the voice of scott jennings the uh the titular name of this podcast, of course, The Fly Over Country with Scott Jennings. Also, Kaylee Price is here, Kevin Grout. I'm Joe Arnold. Back to Kaylee and Kevin in a minute, but I want to follow up one thing, Scott, with you. After your interview the other day on this podcast with David Drucker with the new book out about the future of the Republican Party, the potential other candidates for president, and given the fact that Youngkin won in, in part by distancing himself from Donald Trump what does that say about the the formula that, that you think is in mind for a because you're already projecting, you know, the a Republican takeover of the House and maybe of the Senate uh, in 2022 is your confidence. Are you as confident with that if Donald Trump uh, reinserts himself more effectively as the head of the, Repo- of the Republican Party?
1: Well, I, I don't think Young can distance himself from Trump. I just think he ran his own race and I think he engaged with him. And around him, as he thought it was appropriate, given the jurisdiction in which he was running. I mean, he was running a race in a blue state that Joe Biden had won by ten points. He did what he had to do to win, but I don't, I didn't see him denouncing Trump every day, which is, by the way, what these Lincoln Project types want, and all these, you know, these, these people who who go out and you know say and do crazy things uh, because they've you know Trump broke them. Okay, they and they think Glenn Youngkin the only thing that would have been acceptable for him to do would be to hold a daily press conference saying, America is dying and I'm here to denounce Donald Trump. Well, that's, I mean, just as a political strategy matter is insane and it's not going to happen. So let's be adults. What is the future look like? The future in the midterms is, depending on where you're running, you're going to make decisions accordingly. So if you're running in a jurisdiction that looks like Virginia, you're going to make decisions accordingly. If you're running in a jurisdiction that looks like Kentucky or Alabama or Mississippi, you're going to make decisions accordingly. The the lesson in Youngkin is is that you don't have to fear being your own person and having your own agenda and running your own race. I think there are a lot of candidates and strategists who thought I've got to do it the way Trump did it, or I gotta to try to emulate this. It's obviously not true. Being your own person, running your own race, and tailoring it to the jurisdiction is obviously the correct thing to do. And that think to me is the lesson of Yunkin. Kevin.
0: Yeah, and we've said it before on this podcast that when when you try to put on some hat that you're not, when you try to do a a fake Trump impression because you think that's the only way for a Republican to win, the voters will see right through it in an instant. I mean, what I think one of the main takeaways of the Trump era is a need for authenticity in our elected officials and our candidates. It's we want somebody who is going to tell it to us like it is. Uh, and move past the talking points. And if there's one thing, you know, Trump did is he threw away the talking points and he said what was on his mind. Um, So I I think going in there with the the bluster, because you think that's what will work will really just backfire every time.
2: And I think, I I think that goes to the, the diversity of opinions in the Republican party. You know, I think you have from center right over to far right. And there's a lot of different voices in the Republican party and that's okay. It, it makes us better. I think we don't have to all be aligned on absolutely every issue and, in every thought that's part of what primaries are for. That's part of why we have elections. And, and I think it's, it's healthy for our party to have differing opinions and, and really for a candidate, it's their job to see what the Republican party feels where they're, where they're running and, and, answer for that and represent those people. So I I think it's fine. I think it's good for the party.
3: You know, Scott, I was thinking about you uh, when I saw a headline that Jared uh, Crawford producer of this fine podcast shared with us this past week from the intercept about his the the headline is it's, it's not just white people. Democrats are losing normal voters of all races and talking about Democrats fearing they're losing white swing voters over racial politics. But the word normal being in there kind of stuck out to me because you know, you thought that uh, you've always often said, you know, Biden won the, r- the race over Trump over the thought of just I'm like a normal America normal again. Yeah, and interestingly, uh, that's not happened. Uh, and beyond that, you can look at maybe the some of the debates that are going on in school boards and things of this nature. It's just the opposite. It's it's kind of introducing. This is where maybe you're losing people who otherwise might otherwise from a attitudinal standpoint might even relate to some of the Democratic policies, but they're not comfortable with drifting so far away from maybe social norms or things like I'm a parent and I want to have a role in my children's school, you know, as as if if that's being rejected, you know, where else do they have to go?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think that the Democrats have to make a decision here, and that is, are they going to give up on any kind of relationship with average American people who basically see their lives this way. I get up every day. I do everything they ask me to do. I go to work. I get my kids to school. I pay my taxes. I go the speed limit. I follow all the rules. I do everything I'm supposed to do as an American. And yet somehow, if I don't align myself with the Democratic agenda, they're coming for me. They're coming for me. If I have a question at a school board meeting, they're coming for me. If I don't align with their agenda you know on every single issue they're coming to call me a name a racist which is about the worst thing you can call somebody in american life i revere the founding fathers and yet i see them tearing down thomas jefferson's statue uh, you know in new york and if i don't agree with them they're coming for me it's like i do everything you ask me to do i i operate and participate in american society and i in in every way that you would expect a person to do, and yet it's not good enough unless you go whole hog into some of this lurch to the left. and And look, that may I mean that may work in some districts. It may work in some states. It is not going to work throughout most of America because there are even people who I would probably consider themselves to be center left on a number of policies who don't want to go that far. Who who may well have questions about what's going on in their kids' school system. So. They're playing a dangerous game and uh, and uh, you know they claim that the greatest threat to America is that if Donald Trump comes back as president. Let me tell you how you get Donald Trump back. Do exactly what you're doing right now. Do exactly what you're doing right now. That's how you get Trump. In fact, it's how you got him in the first place. A party that's lurching so far to the left and somebody showed up and appeared to have the strength and the fight to jerk it back you know to some equilibrium. They're doubling down on it. And, and this is how you're going to get this guy again. Uh, and I think Democrats haven't internalized that as a lesson of this November election.
3: You have rural Democrats, certainly, uh, perhaps it might come from more conservative areas who are who are stuck now and trying to figure out, you know, what 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 can they do? And do they have any sway at all in the party? The 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 rural uh, Democrats, the ones who The only one
1: that has any sway is Joe Manchin. And it's only because he, you know, he holds a Senate seat in a 50 50 Senate. But how much do you think, Kevin, Kayla, I mean, how much do you think the average rural Democrat's voice is heard, you know, as the Democrat, you know, as Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer sit around and war game out what they're going to do and how they're going to act? They don't care. How right. much do you think uh, the squad cares what the average rural Democrat in Western Missouri thinks? I mean, they don't care. And in fact, I think their presence in their party may be hateful to some of them. Like, they wish they would go away. Republicans have this disease, too. It's like politics by subtraction. You know, like, I want to get rid of everybody in my party that I don't like or that disagrees with me or that's not pure enough. This is the dumbest political strategy of all time for either party. And so, Joe, I don't think they have much of a voice at all unless you happen to hold a pivotal job like Joe Manchin does. Other than that, they're they're not being listened to, and it's why I think they're fleeing the Democrats.
0: Right, those members that you were talking about, Scott, from Flyover Country, are are the total sacrificial lambs. They're, you know, Nancy Pelosi is willing to say you have to vote for our radical agenda, and we know you're going to lose your seat next election, but it's going to be worth it. You have to take the plunge with us. Uh, She doesn't care; she's out of here anyway. Um, But they, they don't have a voice that has that has to be their way. And I think it, it might just be the Democrat leadership has no idea how to talk to Flyover Country anymore. You know when. How, how do most Americans interact with the economy? It's when they're standing at the gas pump, watching the numbers tick up because gas is so expensive. What did the transportation secretary say in response to um, gas being too high? Oh, nobody will have to buy gas anymore when everyone drives an electric car. That, that that's just a slap in the face to everybody who who doesn't think that way.
3: Devil's advocacy here, however, if I could, and then Kaylee, I'll ask you: Is that? Uh, If I'm a Democrat, I'm saying, but I'm about to pass another two trillion dollars to for those very people. I'm going to help you. I I have money the same way as Donald Trump passed all this uh, uh, CARES Act stuff that came out during his presidency. We're going to we're going to spend just as much and send it right to those people. So isn't that a solution?
2: I mean, is it is is it a solution to send farmers in Iowa and in Missouri a, a bunch of money? as you're saying, but then also say if you won't cede all control to government and be a purist and whatnot, then you're a racist and you are you hate everyone else around you. No, that's not a solution. It's not one they're buying. I think that's where, where Democrats are missing right now is there's plenty of people that may be center left out, out in rural America and may not want to Everything that Republicans are giving, but they're not giving them a space, and and they don't want to. To to what Scott said or Kevin said, they're actually hated in the party, and and I don't see that changing right now.
1: I think it's a very cynical politics that you're prescribing, Joe. This idea that well, if we just throw enough money at these people, yeah, you know they'll vote for us. And and and, and this has been a common, I think, mistake Democrats have made over the years, which is to say uh, we can control large swaths of the voting population by simply throwing money and government programming at them. And then they are all amazed, like, well, how come these people didn't vote for us? We gave them all this money. To me, it is the most cynical politics to appropriate government funds and to send out individual payments to people for the sole purpose of believing that they are then going to universally vote for your party when it's all said and done, and then to express disappointment or amazement that it didn't happen. People have all kinds of reasons for casting votes. They have cultural views. They have other political views. You know, there's all kinds of issues in the world that causes voting behavior. But Democrats think if they just send you a check, and if, if it's for enough, that you'll forsake all other values you have and bow down. And I think they're coming to the coming to the realization it's not going to be the case, and it won't be the case in the upcoming midterm.
3: And they just seem to never learn this lesson prognostications before we go here, and, and I'm going to ask each of you a little scene read here in, in a moment. But, Scott, uh, on those different votes coming up here in the next couple of weeks, you got the, 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 you know, you have the debt ceiling, which I guess might be pushed back. But you have build back better. What's what do you where do you see this happening? What, what what's these where do these votes stand?
1: I actually see little drama. Uh, I think they'll end up punting on government funding. I think they'll end up finding a way to do the debt ceiling. I actually think we're, we're not in for brinksmanship here. Uh, what I'm less certain about is what's going to happen on the Build Back Better agenda. Um, I can go ahead and reveal that I just interviewed uh, David Axelrod, uh, Obama's former advisor, and my colleague at CNN for this podcast, and we're going to release that soon. But he, his opinion was that they've gotten this thing to the five-yard line, and he had a hard time believing that they would let it fail at the five-yard line. However, the politics of this are super messy because what the Senate can pass is way different than what has passed the House. And it's just not clear to me. How fast they can reconcile all those differences. He may be right. Maybe they end up just saying, "Okay, fine. You know, we'll we'll take we'll take this portion of a loaf, even though we don't like it, back over among the progressives in the house." But I don't think it's going to be as easy or as fast as perhaps Joe Biden wants it to be. So that's my my current assessment.
0: And I think and even it- if they do end up passing it, uh, you, the squad in the house is going to put out tweets or whatever saying we're voting for it, but it's not good enough. And it's going to wipe out any political advantage passing the bill may have. Yeah. That's that's a really,
1: yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point, Kevin. They may end up giving Republicans, you know, all the ammunition that they need for these, you know, when this gets debated in political campaigns, you know, and Democrats are touting their agenda. Well, even, you know, even, even your own party didn't think
3: it was a good bill. The only thing
0: about it it, is going to be its bipartisan opposition.
3: Yeah. Interesting. Uh Scott, uh, before Seamrod heard, you mentioned David Axelrod. Uh, I mean David Drucker, be sure to listen to that interview. Anyone else coming up we should be aware of, or do you want to well, tease a, a, later on? Well, I just
1: want to tease that that in addition to David Axelrod, um, I'm conducting two under, two other interviews this week, and I want to tease it, and I want to have a little mystery about it because they're so right. good. Oh, the guests really? are so amazing, and we're going to we're going to drop those out over the next couple of weeks, but it's two people that I greatly admire that I think are absolute leaders for our country that I think are in politics for all the right reasons. And that I think really have unique voices in our party and in our country today. So I'm really excited about it and uh, look forward to getting those out. And uh, I'm really grateful that they, they chose to come on because really, really interesting people.
3: Interviews so far include David Drucker, Jake Tapper, Josh Kroschauer, a a lot of those all-stars out here and Mitch McConnell certainly uh, was on, made some news nationally with that one, Scott. So uh, that's, that's that's sort of my scene. red heard is the, is the flyover country podcast with Scott Jennings. Yeah, how about and you, Kaylee. I, and I you well, learned well, how well, to go, download
1: just, just on that, just on that yeah. topic though, and, and you teased yeah. it a little bit the David Drucker interview. I just have to yeah. say a, a thing about David. David was terrific, and if you haven't listened to it, David was great. His book is great. In Trump's shadow, you can go on Amazon and buy it. But David talked to us about the publishing process, what it was like yeah. to do the audio version of it, his interview with Trump, his interviews with the other. Republican presidential contenders. He really was a great conversation uh, for this podcast. I was really glad he was on. I think his book is one of the most insightful sort of pieces of instant analysis on the Republican Party right now. So really grateful for David coming on and and uh, and glad that he wrote his book and glad that he's out there talking about it.
3: I will say from a, as a former reporter it was interesting to me because you wonder about this sometimes these the, the the logistics and just the setup of how these things work and his description of sitting down with Trump, and how that all went was, was fascinating. All right, Kaylee, anything you've seen, read, or heard you want to share with us?
2: Well, it is uh, Christmas movie time in my household, meaning every time I sit down, I'm going to turn on a Netflix or Hallmark Christmas movie. Uh, love those. Also, continuing continuing to read, I read a lot of historical fiction. I'm reading one right now called Sin For Me, about uh, a Jewish family in Germany that migrated to Wisconsin.
0: Excellent. Kevin, I'm going to tweak your question a little bit. It's not seen. It's will see uh, this this weekend. My wife and I are going to go see a uh, production of Handel's Messiah. And I think that's really the best way to kick off the Christmas season uh, to sit down. It's a two and a half hour show. It's going to be it's going to be fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to it.
2: I have uh, been since- to that, Kevin. Multiple times it is really, really good. It's
0: right.
3: My, Hallelujah. Good. My,
0: and, <laughs> who gets it? Who knows it? Right.
3: <laughs> and Kevin, so you know, my family began a new Thanksgiving tradition on Thanksgiving Eve. We got together on Wednesday and we watched planes, trains, automobiles based upon this podcast and your the the, the snake draft of Thanksgiving. So thank you. The only thing that.
1: I could think about on Thanksgiving was Kaylee and her family with the corn trying to pick <laughs> off the individual kernels. And I sat there all day Thanksgiving, saying, so "I wonder what part of the corn Kaylee is on now." And now, now that we're in hour nine of Thanksgiving, like how much of the corn is left? Did you get through the whole corn? Or are we still working on it? Is it what is happening? With the you know,
2: corn? the first time my husband came to a family Thanksgiving, he he was just like, "What? I, I have to get up. I can't. We can't do this. You can't possibly keep going on this." It's a great tradition.
1: But did you do it? I want to know.
2: Oh, not in Texas this year.
1: You didn't do it? You know what I also thought? You could have gotten one of those baby corns that you get with like Chinese food, like with Chinese takeout, one of those tiny corns, and then you could have gone a lot racist. quicker so, than if you did a huge corn.
2: Yeah, we did it when, when I hosted. My brother hosted this year, and he, he uh, was not there's part There's no of it, gratitude so. in
3: Texas, says Kaylee. All right, Scott, other than your own podcast, anything seen, read, or heard?
1: Yes, uh, I went to the theater, the movie theater, for the first time in I couldn't. I was trying to remember. I think it might have been Knives Out was the last movie I saw. And I think, but anyway, I went back to movie theater and took my children to see Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I was had been really excited about for a while. It was kind of the the true sequel, I think, to the original Ghostbusters, and it was really good. The kids loved it. They love Ghostbusters anyway, and uh, they were very happy to see it. It was a fun experience and to uh, sit in front of a movie uh, screen. And uh, my kids chomping popcorn and uh, and uh, watching a movie on the big screen was a fun a fun night. So uh, don't know what I'm going to see. I guess Spider Man will be the next movie I see in the theater. But Ghostbusters Afterlife, I recommend it. It was I think it was made for kids, but it was good for the adults who are, who remember and love the original too.
2: I also went to back to the theater for my first time in a long time. Went and saw Eternals a couple of weeks ago. And oh, it was, was it good? It was okay. Not not yeah. their best, but it was a you know critics have been pretty hard on it. Um how did you feel
3: though being inside a movie theater?
2: Loved it. I was excited.
3: And were masks required? No. Okay. No, no. I wouldn't have worn it. it if it was. You know, uh, listen, I,
1: I went to a theater and saw a movie on a big screen. And then and then around that same time, uh, the family also sat down and watched a couple of things on Disney Plus, Shang-Chi, the Marvel movie that's on Disney Plus, And we watched the first couple of episodes of the new Hawkeye series. But you know. I like the Shang-Chi movie. I thought it was great, but there is a real difference in seeing a, a movie on a big screen like in a theater. I mean, for me, for us growing up in theaters. But I don't know if our children are going to have the same, you know, because they they probably won't see as many movies in theaters as we did growing up. So I, I've thought about that, you know, and I want to make sure I my kids see at least a few in there to get the feel of it.
2: That was my thought on Shang-Chi. We watched that a ton. It was my nephew's movie of choice at Thanksgiving, meaning they just watch it over and over and over again. And I was thinking this would be great to see on a big screen. There's a lot of action at the beginning. It would have been really good.
3: That's Kaylee Price, Kevin Grout, Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold. You're listening to the Flyover Podcast with Scott Jennings and follow us on Twitter at the Flyover Pod on the show notes, as well as on Twitter. You can find the link to send us your voicemails and your comments about future shows. Thanks, guys. Flyover
1: Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com. And you can also find me at Scott Jennings KY on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing and thank you for choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings.